This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. The scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 28. If you'd like, please stand for me with the reading of the word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of the people most to be pitied. But, in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. Well, good morning. If you're new here with us, I want to welcome you. Uh, Thanks for being here with us this morning. My name's Ron. I'm one of the pastors here It's a privilege to gather with you all to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will dive right in. Father, we come to you right now because of your son, because of his work, which was vindicated and validated and declared accepted in full when you moved upon the dead body of Jesus of Nazareth and brought him back to life and exalted him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and gave him a name over every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, 
every single knee would bow, every tongue would confess to the praise of your glory. So this morning, Father, I want to ask that you would send to us the spirit of holiness that vindicated Jesus in power. And would you come and bring revelation? God, let us see him as risen. I ask that the resurrection would not just be um, something we give lip service to this morning. God, I ask that it would be for us the earth-shattering, life-altering, cosmic, reorienting reality that it is. God, would you visit us this morning in power? God, write your truth upon our minds and our hearts. Open our eyes to see Jesus. God, that we might follow him and know him and live for his glory even while we await the day when he will be seen fully as the king over all. God, would you show us, meet with us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to just jump right in. We're going to try, try to move through some of this uh, this morning. I feel like I have way more than we have time to get at, but uh, I'm all dressed up, so you know, we might as well get, get after it. If you've got the notes, go ahead and uh, look with me at the beginning here. Letter A, uh, right at the center of our Christian faith, right? If you want to know what Christianity is about, you want to know what's right at the middle, right at the center, there is this one remarkable, earth-shattering, life-altering claim that if it is not true, we heard read, Paul would say to you, your faith and your pursuit of God is utter vanity, if this statement is not true, everything that we do as the people of God hinges on one reality. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was raised from the dead and is exalted now as the Lord over all creation. What happened in a tomb outside of Jerusalem Easter morning nearly 2,000 years ago has cosmic and eternal significance for every single human being that's ever walked the planet. One event, one event, what happened in a tomb Sunday morning 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem has life-altering reality for you, life-altering significance. There was a church historian that lived in the 20th century who on his deathbed, he made this claim. If Jesus is risen, nothing else matters. And if Jesus isn't risen, nothing else matters. What he's getting at is at the very center of your existence is how do you grapple with the claim that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? You see, if it actually happened, if it actually happened, if in this moment, God vindicated and validated Jesus of Nazareth and his message and his work, his life and his death and set him as the Lord over all the earth, it demands something. It demands a response. It demands belief. It demands that we come up under that claim and submit the whole of our lives to it. 
And if it didn't happen, Paul says again here, your faith is in vain. He actually says later in the passage we didn't hear read, why are you even here this morning? Go, eat, drink, be merry. Imbibe in this world as much as you can because nothing matters. There is no hope if this did not happen. Let her see the message of Easter and the message that we as the people of Jesus proclaim each and every week is not a general message of human hope. It's not just a sentimental message intended to inspire us that there can be like new beginnings or something like that. This isn't just to meant to like fill your heart with warm sentiment at the human ability to hope. It is nothing less, this message, that God has acted to fulfill his purposes. He's provided a way for men and women to be saved. He's vindicated his son, Jesus Christ, for all times. This is the message we proclaim. If this is true, then it necessitates this this event and its significance reorients the whole of our lives. If it's true, it means that God's kingdom has broken into the world, that God's new creation has begun. It means everything about Jesus of Nazareth, everything he did, everything he said, everything he claimed, all of his work was the full, perfect, and entire truth of God. Therefore, all of our lives must be reoriented towards this and nothing else but Jesus Christ crucified and risen matters. So this morning, I wanna highlight three things related to this text, related to the resurrection, that I wanna put us face to face with the reality of the resurrection. What does it mean for the people of God? How do we grapple with it? And these are the three things I wanna put in front of us this morning. Number one, Christianity hinges on the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Christianity doesn't exist, okay? This isn't uh, a negotiable. This is absolute, essential, front and center to what we believe. That's number one. Number two, it is historical fact. It's fact. Jesus' body came back from the dead. He lives now never to die again. This happened. It's fact. And the message of Christianity hinges on that fact. And then the third thing that I want us to see this morning is that the resurrection serves as a guarantee. I want you to think about it this way. The resurrection is God's declaration to you this morning. I'm not done. I'm not done. And I will finish what I started. That is what I want us to see this morning. So let's look at Roman numeral two. If you have your Bibles, open them up because I'm, I'm going to be working outside in 1 Corinthians 15 of what we heard read this morning as well. But Paul declares in this passage that the reality of the resurrection is right at the heart of the Christian faith. It is right at the center. Everything we believe hinges on this reality. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3 here. I delivered to you 
as of first importance. So Paul, after writing this letter to the Corinthians and he's about to bring it home and make some application for them, he tells them, I want you to be reminded of what is most important about what I brought to you, about my ministry, what I uh, preached to you. It's first importance, what I received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and then what? He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Look again, I just wanna, I want you to come face to face with this again and again and again. If Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain. What I'm doing up here this morning doesn't matter if Christ is not raised from the dead. And your faith is in vain. It does not matter if Christ has not raised from the dead. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Paul's going, hey, I am on the hook here. I stood up in front of y'all and I said, hey, God raised this man from the dead. So if he didn't do it, I am blaspheming and standing as a liar misrepresenting God to you. Because we testified that God, by, about God, that he raised Christ, who if he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So throughout the New Testament, we cannot separate the message of salvation purchased through the cross from the message of the resurrection. The death of Jesus, for it to be good news to you, requires that Jesus came out of the ground. The death of Jesus, I want to say that again, for it to be good news to you, requires that Jesus was raised from the dead. See, it's the death of Jesus that pays the ransom price for our salvation and atones for the forgiveness of our sins, right? The death of Jesus accomplishes the work of God to provide salvation. However, it is the resurrection that vindicates and validates the person and work of Jesus. The resurrection is God proclaiming for everyone to see it's finished. I accepted it. The work of Jesus on the cross, accepted in full, paid in full. That's the power of the resurrection. Look at letter D. Jesus declared himself to be the glorious son of man, the eternal son of God throughout his whole ministry. But it is the resurrection that demonstrates him as the son of God for all to see. Look at what Paul says in Romans 1. This is a message. Our gospel is concerning the son who is descended from David according to the flesh, meaning he was born from the line of David as a, as a man. But uh, verse four, he was declared to be the son of God. Now it's important that Paul says declared there because he didn't become the son of God at the resurrection. He was shown to be what he always was. What he was in veiled sight, coming in the form of a servant, humbling himself. Now, because he was raised from the dead, he's shown for all to see he was and always is the son of God. This is who he is. He's openly declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. Letter E, so in his life and ministry, Jesus took on the form of a servant, humbling himself in obedience to the will of the father. 
even to the point of death. Now the resurrection vindicates him and his work, the Lord God Almighty says yes and amen to all of his promises in Christ and exalts him as the Lord over all creation. Look at the top of page two. What I want us to see this morning again, if our faith hinges on this, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, he's just a failed prophet. Right, he shows up and he tells people, this is the way to find life, this is the truth, this is uh, what God's at work doing. And if he stays in the ground, he's just a failed prophet. But in the resurrection, the reality of Jesus' life, his teaching, his ministry, and his death is shown for all time to be the only way, the only truth, the only way to life in, in him and him alone. Look at letter I. The only way for us to know for certain that the death of Jesus has any power over sin any effectiveness in forgiving us of our eternal debt and any ability to pay for the wrath of God we deserved, which that's the gospel, right? We're sinful. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to be forgiven of our sin. We've incurred the wrath of God that is due to us breaking his holiness and his righteous requirements the death of Jesus, for it to be effective to forgive you of your sins and to appease the wrath of God, requires that he be raised from the dead. One last time, I'm just going to say it one more. We must see the reality of the resurrection is central to the truth of the gospel. Without the resurrection, Paul declares, our hope is in vain. We are to be pitied above all men. Look at verse 17 here from 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, we have, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Hey family, like we're a pitiful people. If we, if we don't have hope in the resurrection. We are a people to be utterly pitied if we have hope in this life only, right? Because this life is still marked with sin and death and hurt and pain and it's way harder than we want it to be. It doesn't seem like there's a lot going in the favor of the people of God, right? We're to be pitied. But thanks be to God that our message is not that we have hope in this life only. We have hope in the life to come because, in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. Okay, so it's central, front and center to the Christian faith is this message of Christ's resurrection. But we have to look at it and go, did it really happen? Right? If we're gonna bank all of our hope and all of our faith on something, we best be utterly sure that it really happened, right? If I'm gonna put all of my chips into one basket and go, if I do not believe this, my life is in vain, my faith is in vain, I want to be certain 
that it happened. But Paul gives us a lot of clues and the New Testament gives us a lot of reality that this is absolute historical fact. The resurrection is historical reality. This is the second truth that I want us to look at this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, five to eight. Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. This is talking about after he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. You know what Paul's doing there? Hey, if you found them, you could go ask them. That's what he's saying. He's not hinging this on some like hope-filled, wish-filled like reality. He's saying, hey, most of these people that Jesus showed up to in the flesh are still alive. If you walked to their house tomorrow, knocked on the door and said, did you see him? They would validate and vindicate the message I'm proclaiming to you. Most of them are still around is what he's getting at. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. I want you to note four times in those verses, he says the phrase, he appeared. Paul wants us to know this actually happened. He's not going, you're putting your hope and your faith in some wishful idea that like Christ rose in our hearts and we were warmed with hope that there could be a reality of a new birth or new life you know, just like spring when there's new life. Maybe, maybe there could be new life for us in the midst of our world. That's not what at all is what's happening. And that message, let me just go side note for a second. That message is being proclaimed all over the place. That this didn't actually happen historically. It was like the disciples were sitting around and they were reminiscing about the good old days. And it was like, his memory was so fresh to us, it was like he was there with us. The New Testament all over the place wants you to realize Jesus actually rose from the dead. So much so he could appear to the apostles, he could appear to 500 people, he could appear to James, he could appear to him. The writers of the New Testament, this is letter B, the resurrection was not religious sentiment. It was not a spiritualized message intended to signify embodying hope in a dark world. It's not something they created or fabricated in order to warm their hearts as they were sad because Jesus had died. This wasn't the stories or the tradition that slowly developed over time. This was literal historic fact. Look at letter D. The early Christians were explicit in utilizing many devices to confirm and emphasize to you that Jesus's resurrection was historical fact. I just want to name a couple of these. Number one, they gave historical evidence. They regularly speak of the resurrection as a historical reality and emphasize circumstances around it and the physical elements that surrounded it. Look at the top of page three. This is uh, the Gospel of Luke, which Luke tells you at the beginning of his Gospel, I did my homework. I fact-checked everything. I built a ordered and logical account of all the things that happened 
because of eyewitness testimony. I did my due diligence. And I love this story. Look at Luke 24 here. As they were talking, these are the disciples. As they were talking about these stories that Jesus was starting to show up to people, Jesus himself stood among them. Right, they're in a room. Doors locked. We are here in John. Standing in a room going, hey, there are people saying that Jesus rose from the dead. They went to the tomb. They couldn't find his body. It was empty. Can you believe this? And then all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is there. Just appears. He's standing among them. They're going, okay, the only kind of thing that can just appear in the middle of a room is a spirit, right? They're deducing this. They, they, have, they have logical deduction, right? Verse 37, they thought they saw a spirit. You would too, right? Somebody just showed up out of nowhere. Either you would think like some weird time traveler or a spirit. He says to them, see my hands, my feet. It's I myself. Come, touch me, see me. Why? Why does Jesus make a big ado about touching him? A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Then he goes, you might still not believe me. Okay, hey, do you have anything to eat? I love this. Why does Jesus ask for something to eat? Have you ever thought about it? He wants to again prove he's not a spirit, right? Hey, do you have any food? Give me some food. So he takes the food, a broiled fish, he takes it and eats it to demonstrate to you that he is risen in his body forever. Acts 13. And though they found him in him no guilt worthy of death, this is Paul's sermon. They asked Pilate to have him executed. So he wants to again situate this as historical fact. Why is he giving real details, real circumstances? When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. He wants you to go, hey, this is real. It really happened. This is fact. But God raised him from the dead. Okay, so we have historical realities. They have eyewitness accounts. The reality that Jesus appeared to many is used by the New Testament authors time and time again to demonstrate that this actually happened. Look at Acts 1.3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. He wanted to show them again that he was risen, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. For many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee, right? He appears to them again and again. There's all these eyewitnesses we heard said over and over again. So here's what I want us to get at. The historical necessity of the resurrection really matters. If he didn't come out of the ground, what does Paul say again? Go back to our first one. Your faith is in vain. Go try something else. But if he did come out of the ground, it demands everything. All of our lives, all of our affections, all of our submission, all of our 
uh, energy and desire and heart, soul, mind, strength be reordered around him. Okay, look at the top of page four. The final thing I want us to see this morning, and I think Paul invites us to see, is that the resurrection functions within our faith, right? If it's front and center, if it actually happened, if it utterly matters, it has a different function as well. It functions like a guarantee within the purposes and plans of God. Like I said earlier, I think the resurrection is... God's vindication and validation of Jesus, his person, his work. And I think within the body of Jesus now, it serves as a witness that God is not done. It's, it's, it's a witness that he is going to finish what he started in that tomb 2,000 years ago, Easter morning. Understanding this, I believe, is intended to fill us with faith and hope in the glorious certainty of God's purposes, regardless of what appears to be true as we walk through the world. Hey, I would invite us all to be real, right? It doesn't often look like the reality of God's purposes are coming to pass. Am I the only one? Y'all are still dead. I ask you a question, you don't even say anything. (laughs) Oftentimes, we walk through this world, it's really dark, it's really clouded, it's really hard to perceive how God is at work, right? We have to reach for that by faith. We have to believe that he is who he says he is. We have to see uh, beyond what our eyes tell us to see, what our hearts feel in this world, right? And remembering the resurrection, looking at the resurrection is intended to fill us with faith that God will do everything he promised to do. That he has once and for all said, I'm working. And this is the demonstration of it. Look at verse uh, 20 in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, there it is again, right? Paul doesn't want you to miss that this is absolutely factual. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He calls him the first fruits. The first fruits are like a down payment. He says, he is the first fruits of an ultimate work in which God is going to accomplish his purposes, right? The resurrection is a guarantee, first and foremost, of a future resurrection. Paul demonstrates that at Jesus' resurrection is like a first fruits. It's the deposit, the down payment, that one day all who belong to him will in like kind be raised from the dead. This reality shows that all who are in Christ will one day be raised to life eternal. 
We will be given, just like he has, a physical body raised with him to dwell with him for all eternity, restored to a place of perfect communion and partnership with him. Nothing holding us back from that. Look at verse 51 in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul goes on, he says, I'm gonna tell you a mystery. We're not all gonna sleep. What he's meaning there is they're, they're wondering what's happening to the dead among them, right? They thought they would believe and the purposes of God would happen fully and then there's some of them that are dying in the Corinthian church and they're going, what's happening? Are they raised from the dead? Are they, are they going to experience God's life? Was God found to be false here? And Paul goes, here's the mystery. Not everybody's gonna die. There will be a generation in which the Lord returns and they will not die. They won't sleep, but they will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, Paul tells you, hey, you wanna know your future? Here's your future. One day a trumpet will sound. Those that have died in Christ will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. The perishable body would put on the imperishable and the mortal body would put on immortality. So the resurrection is a guarantee of a future resurrection. You, even if you die in Christ, you will be raised to live with him for eternity in a physical body, fully alive to him. Look at letter C. But the resurrection is also a guarantee that all of the cosmos, all of the universe will be redeemed. Paul shows that Jesus' resurrection places him as the Lord and king over all the earth. Although we await the time of full consummation, the resurrection serves as a guarantee that there will be a day when all things get put under the feet of Jesus. His victory over sin, over death, over hell will one day be ultimately realized as God's purposes of cosmic redemption fill the whole earth. Look at verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. He will reign until all of his enemies will be put under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. Paul says the resurrection actually guarantees that everything that is wrong with this world will one day be undone. And God's purposes of redemption and restoration will be known to all and seen for what they are. Look at verse 54. When the resurrection happens, the second resurrection, when we're raised to be with God, when perishable will be put on, uh, or, or uh, perishable will put on the imperishable, and mortality will put on immortality. Paul says, when this happens, then will come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Then he declares, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He says, there's coming a day when God will demonstrate his victory over the final enemy, which is death. We, this is what we are waiting for. Letter D, the last thing that I want us to see this morning is that the resurrection is a guarantee that God's power 
is now at work in his church. Paul specifically relates the time in between Christ's comings as being a time where the church is to grow in understanding and experiencing the power of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The church is joined to Christ like a body is joined to the head. And the resurrection life of the head is intended to be experienced in ways now by the church as we live in this world. Look at Ephesians chapter one. This is Paul's prayer. He closes this prayer that God would enlighten the hearts of the Ephesian Christians for what purpose? He says, I want you to know something. God, would you show to your body the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe? What power are we talking about? He says, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. Hey, church, do you realize that the life that God has demonstrated in Christ Jesus is at work in us now? It's at work in us now. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to have a resurrected body today. It doesn't mean we're going to be uh, brought to this state of absolute sinless perfection. But it does mean that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to walk in obedience to him. You have the ability to walk in victory over sin. Hey, there are people in this room right now. There are some of us that have lived under the weight of besetting sin for years. And the message of the gospel to you today, yes, is that in Christ Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. Yes, it is that you can be redeemed. But it is also that your savior had victory over sin, death, and the grave. And you can walk in the newness of life. His power is at work in you. That you can experience victory over places where you have been bogged down under the weight and the pressure of besetting sin, of patterns of habitual sin, God's life is alive in us. It works in us. His spirit is with us. And God desires that we, by faith in his grace, lay hold of the reality of his resurrection power in us and ask him to make it known among us. This is what Paul is praying, that the power that God has to raise Jesus from the dead, set him as the king over all the earth, that he would never die again and every power in heaven and on earth would be subjected to him, that that power is at work in his church. Right now, right now. Okay, two more things. Number one, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 32 to 34. Actually, this is gonna be where I'm gonna end. I don't have it there for you on the notes. I want us to respond and ask God to work among us by his power in the church. And so when I say the life of God, the power of God that has been made known in raising Christ from the dead, when he 
took him and raised him and seated him over every authority, every power. I mean, life to experience real victory over places of sin, right? What, what does Paul talk about in Romans 6 when he says, we've been baptized, right? What does baptism symbolize, right? We are buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, sharing with him in his death. But what does coming out of the water signify? We've been raised to walk in the newness of his resurrection life, right? His resurrection life alive in us. And this is how I want us to respond this morning. This is how Paul calls for the Ephesians to respond. Look at verse 32. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, what am I giving my life away for? He goes, hey, I'm putting myself in way too much trouble if this didn't really happen. I am giving myself over to a bold proclamation of Jesus and him risen. And it's costing me real things. I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. What am I giving my life away to, Paul says. If he's not raised, what we should all do is leave here right now, go find the best brunch in Kansas City, and eat, drink, and be merry. Just imbibe it all. Because there's nothing else. There's no other hope. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Watch who your friends are. All right, here's, here's how I want us to do. 34. So what does Paul tell us to do? Wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. Do not go on sinning. Wake up. If this is true, if this is the center of it all, if this is fact, if this is the guarantee of God's life at work among us, the only response is to wake up. As I was praying this morning, I kept hearing the, the, the phrase that Elijah says as he's going up on the mountain and he's going against the prophets of Baal. And I felt it for myself. I think I feel it for us all. His sentence is this, how long are you going to go along limping between two opinions? Hey, family, how long? Are we going to go along limping between two worlds? We're either a people of the resurrection or we're a people of the world. We're either a people that need to sell it all to run after the man, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, died, and buried, and give all of our life to it and wake up from the drunken stupor of the world that we live in, stop sinning, stop pursuing the ways of the world, stop pursuing the things of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the desires of life, and put it all in with the resurrected man. Or put it all away and run headlong into that one. How long will we go on limping between two opinions? 
How long will we go on limping between two ways? We can't live in two kingdoms. We can only live in one. And so my appeal this morning is for us to look to the man who was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem. God in his power vindicated him, validated him, set him as the king over all the world and said, look at him and you can find life. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? we're going to respond this morning. We're going to come to the table and remember the death of Jesus, the broken body, the shed blood, the forgiveness of sins that was given in his life and in his death. We're going to proclaim that reality together as a family. I also want us to respond just in our own, own hearts and minds before the Lord this morning to just ask the Lord again that his life would be at work among us. And I feel, I feel real strong, like there's a, there's a couple categories of people that I, I, I wanna pray specifically for this morning. And if you find yourself in one of these categories as I'm praying, um, we also have prayer ministers all through the sanctuary that would love to pray with you, pray for you um, as as uh, you are grappling with responding to the Lord. Um, but I, I, feel, I feel a couple areas this morning, just as I was praying for our time and wanna, wanna give specific encouragement and exhortation to a couple areas. Uh, number one, like if you are in that, in that place that I, I said at the end, this like limping between two opinions. If you find yourself like in a, a limping place, right? Like one foot in, one foot out. Ask the Lord this morning to give you his strength, to put your trust fully into his purposes, his ways to follow him. You know, Paul says, wake up from your stupor. And then how he says that is don't go on sinning. He says, walk in the way of obedience Fully put your chips in there, in there. So if that's you, I want to ask that you would just ask the Lord. Say, I want to go all in to your kingdom, your ways. I want to follow you. I submit my life to you again, wholly and fully. That's, that's one category. Second, I, if you're in the room and you have struggled with a besetting sin, it's like a sin that you just can't break free from the cycle of it. Would you let one of our ministers stand with you and pray that God would give you the power of his resurrection life in that place? Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive. 
He has all power over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave. And he has given that power to his people by his Holy Spirit. Would you let somebody pray with you and ask God to fill you afresh today with his power? That cycles and patterns of habitual sin would be broken? We've got people that would love to pray with you uh, that as well. And then we're going to come to the table the way we take communion at Redeemer. And we, this, this meal is open to any and all who put your faith in Jesus. If you look to him and him alone for your righteousness, for your uh, justification before God, we want to invite you to come and take the meal with us. The way we take the meal at Redeemer is you tear a piece of the bread off. You dip it into the cup. We have wine in the stoneware, juice in the glassware. We'll have servers up front in the middle. We'll have them on both sides of the balcony and a gluten-free station to my right over here. Uh, servers, you're welcome to come forward now. If you're in the room this morning and you don't put your faith in Jesus, if you haven't submitted your life to him in faith, we want to ask that you not come take this meal with us. This meal doesn't afford you right standing with God. It doesn't um, make you clean in his presence. It doesn't give you power over sin. It doesn't guarantee that one day you will be raised from the dead. It points to the only place where any of those things are true in Jesus and Jesus alone. So if you don't put your faith in him, don't feel the pressure to come and receive this meal this morning. Stay in your seat where you are. And uh, we've got cards uh, that have prayers on them if you, if you need help praying before God this morning. Uh, but don't feel pressure to come and receive this. I'm gonna pray for us now and then we'll, we'll respond in those ways. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that you have vindicated your son, Jesus. God, that you have set him as the king over all the earth. You have demonstrated that he alone has the power over death, over sin, over the grave. God, we rejoice in that. We receive that truth this morning. We look to you and we look to him and we ask that by your spirit, you would come and move among us. Holy Spirit, would you, would you move in this room, God, even right now? Even right now, God, I ask that you would break the power of habitual sin. God, I ask that you would set people free from patterns of destruction, from patterns of hopelessness. God, I ask that you would, would break in and in, empower your church this morning. God, let us be the recipients of the newness of life in Christ Jesus. Let us walk in that. Let us live in that. Let us, let us delight in the joy of obedience. God, would you fill us with your power this morning? God, and would you set us with zeal in our hearts for you and you alone? God, for those of us that find ourselves at times limping between two opinions, God, would you would you show us Jesus again this morning? Crucified, res resurrected, exalted to your right hand. God, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you right now. Right now, we just say yes. 
we say yes. God, I ask that in this room, for all who call upon your name, would you just tear down our walls? God, that we would be a people where there's no reservations, no hindrances to the activity of your might and your power. Would you move among us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.